morning to you all. Well, it's the last month of the year, December, and uh, I think we have a lot to be thankful for, and this year in particular, we're all thankful that we've been able to continue to meet all year uh, without having to spend any time at home. That in itself is a lot to be thankful for, I think. And because it's December, we now turn our attention to that pivotal moment in history when God in human form came and walked the earth, came as a helpless baby on that first Christmas morning. And so we begin today our series of Christmas messages that will take us right through to Christmas Day. And these will be based predominantly around just one verse of scripture. One verse spoken some 800 years before the birth of Christ by the prophet Isaiah. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just one verse four messages, uh, a name, a series of names that encapsulate the mystery of the Holy Trinity. You've got in there son, counsellor, father. And these will take us right through to Christmas Day. We'll cover one of those names on each of the, the four Sundays. Well, we do have some new parents here this morning and all new parents will understand and appreciate the great weight of responsibility that it is in choosing an appropriate name for your child. And when you begin that process, it's kind of open slather. Uh, there's anything and everything and people give you all sorts of ideas of things that they think would be a good name. Uh, and eventually you start to whittle the selection down a little bit. Some of them you just don't like. Um, they just don't gel with, with your philosophy on naming children. Some of them perhaps, you know, there's too many relatives in the family with that name and you don't want to confuse things by adding another name that's exactly the same. Sometimes you actually want to honour someone else who's in the family and so you're thinking of maybe including the name of that relative. And then as the, as the name range gets whittled down even further, you start to test out how that name's going to sound with your last name. Does it work together or does it sound awful together? You know, my, uh, the family name for boys in my side of the family is Ronald and we were not going to have a Ronald Donald in the family. <laughs> Just being bad. So we had to let them know pretty soon that that tradition was ending with us. Now some people are looking for something unique, some people want something that carries meaning, some people do a lot of research into the, the, the meaning of the first and the second name and how it's going to fit together and what it's going to say. And then eventually you, you get down to one or two and you start trying out those names, maybe with very close friends or, or family. And one of the names that Bruce and I had picked for our boys was um, Liam. We liked the name Liam um, and so we informed my family and my mum said, oh, oh, Liam, yeah, that's a good name, Liam. 
And after a couple of weeks, she was still saying Liam. No idea why, because it's an Irish name and she's very much Irish. But she insisted that she call it Liam. And so we quickly dropped that name and went for something that she could actually say. Names are very important to us, but they were even more important in Bible times. In Bible times, names were usually selected for their meaning. Um, you didn't just call your child Samuel because you liked the name Samuel or because it was popular. Hannah called her boy Samuel because it sounds like the Hebrew word that means heard of God. God had heard her prayer, answered that prayer, and so she chose to honour God in the name of that child. And we see that time and time again throughout the Bible that um, biblical names um, carry meaning. So when Pharaoh's daughter um, brought the little baby up out of the basket in the, in the bulrushes in the Nile, uh, she chose to call him Moses, which means to pull or draw out of water. And we see that uh, God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abram meaning exalted father. Abraham meaning father of a multitude. Sometimes, however, names in the Bible convey a message from God. And we don't really have to look any further than the prophet Isaiah's own two children to see that names can carry a message from God. Isaiah's older boy was named Shia Jasub. You find that in uh, Isaiah 7, just a couple of chapters before where we are today in, in chapter 9. His name carries a prophetic message of hope. His name means a remnant will return. Now, his younger brother, he had a bit more of a mouthful of a name. His was Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So if he was Australian, he'd probably just be Baza. Um, but that was his name. I don't know if his mum ever stood at the door and yelled out, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, come, it's dinner time, you know. Um, but what she would have actually been yelling if she had done that and stood at the door and yelled that name is quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. That's what his name means. And it carried a prophetic message. It was a message of hope for Judah and a message of destruction for the alliance of Aram and the northern kingdom of Israel. So hopefully what you can see from these few examples here is that names are important in the Bible. They often have a story to tell. And it helps if you know that story. Now, the people of the time, they were living it. And so when a prophet had a child and named the child that, then they understood that, that there was some sort of message there. But we aren't living in their story, and so we have to go to a little bit more effort to understand their story. And so as we begin this series this morning, looking at all of these different names that Isaiah used, I think it's important that we do understand the story. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the context, um, the context into which these names were spoken. So this map here shows the Assyrian Empire and the progress of that empire over time. You don't need to understand all the details on this map. All you need to look at is the colours. 
And so what it shows is this little area here was, was Assyria proper. That was sort of where Assyria started. And each colour that radiates out from that shows you the progress of the expansion of the Assyrian Empire over time. And these were the times that these people were living in. So around the time that Isaiah spoke uh, the, this name, or these names, we're probably looking at this sort of area here. So the empire was growing, it was expanding in power and in territory, and it was becoming, or it was, a force to be reckoned with, and it was advancing southwards. Now, the Arameans were based down here in Damascus, and recognising that there was this very distinct threat from the north, they formed an alliance with the northern kingdom of Israel um, to try and give some sort of united front against this powerhouse that was coming down. Now, the Arameans had been a force in that region for some 500 years themselves. And these two nations attacked the southern kingdom of Judah, most likely hoping to convince that part of the kingdom to join with them to increase their strength against this powerhouse coming down from the north. But King Ahaz of Judah, he'd already, he would formed some, some sort of relationship with the Assyrians, um, some, probably some sort of vassal type relationship where he paid tribute in order for them to provide protection for, from, for him. And so he sent messengers to the king of Assyria, notifying them of the attack and requesting their assistance. So the Assyrian king responds and he sends his army southwards into Aram and they absolutely obliterate Damascus. They uh, kill the king, they kill Aram's king and they take the people off into captivity. So I want you to stop and think for a moment what that would be like. Imagine some sort of powerhouse to the north of Australia coming down, obliterating the capital, killing the king or the prime minister and taking people off into captivity. These are serious times that they were living in. You would feel completely demoralised. And the might of that Assyrian army continued to push southward. And they entered Israel and they conquered um, some of the territory around Lake Galilee. And they took the Israelites from that particular region as slaves. And they would have continued their march southward had it not been for a court official named Hosea who committed treason. He murdered his own king seized the throne and tried to appease the might of the Assyrians by sending them a tribute. So he sent a third of a tonne of gold and 37 tonnes of silver and for a time that appeased the onslaught of the Assyrian army. The northern kingdom survived for another day but the cost was very great. They had effectively become a puppet to the might of the Assyrian 
um, nation. These were dark and deeply shocking times. You can imagine if that had happened to us and we were left with little option but to pay a tribute to some invader to kind of keep the peace, but you're living under foreign rule in your own country. So Israel was a nation in mourning for all that they had lost in this process. And it was during these dark and fearful and uncertain times, uh, times of, of being under foreign rule, um, that Isaiah spoke and he spoke a message of hope. He said these words, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and on his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will perform this. This prophesied king, he was going to reign over the whole kingdom of David, not just over Judah, but the northern kingdom as well, and his reign would expand out from there. There would be no end to his reign, nor to the peace that would accompany it and characterise it. Messages of great hope to a, a fearful people living in uncertain times. A new king was coming. What was this king going to be like? Well, Isaiah would tell them, and that's what we'll be exploring over the next few weeks. The first thing we're told about him is that he will be a wonderful counsellor. Now these are words we're very familiar with. We use both of them all the time. So we're going to start with wonderful. You know, I might say, oh, isn't it wonderful that all your grandchildren will be coming for Christmas? Or we might say to someone, oh, wasn't that a wonderful performance that was just given? Or by those words we mean, isn't it nice or lovely that your grandchildren will be with you for Christmas? Or wasn't that a great or an excellent performance? Those words, nice and lovely and, and great and excellent, don't carry much at all of the sense of the biblical use of the word wonderful. The word, the way that the word is used in this passage means incomprehensible, mind-boggling, beyond our understanding. Like when Samson's fa father inquired of the Lord as to what his name was and the Lord re replied, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? or seeing that it is beyond human comprehension. 
This new king would be unlike any other king that they had seen before. He would be beyond the limits of their understanding. And I wonder, have you ever thought of Jesus like that? Have you ever thought just how far beyond the limits of our, of our understanding he really is? Think about his birth for a minute. The virgins shall conceive and bear a son. Do any of you understand that? How does a virgin conceive and bear a son? It is incomprehensible to the human mind. It is wonderful. And what was the reaction of all the people when the shepherds told them? We're told all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Then if we think about his miracles, the things that Jesus did while he walked the earth. People who were blind were able to see again. People who couldn't talk were able to speak again. People who couldn't walk, they walked. People with diseases were healed. People who had demons were, had the demons cast out of them. No one had ever seen anything like it before. And we're told the crowd marveled. They were awestruck. They were struck with astonishment. And they said to each other, we have seen remarkable things. They had indeed seen remarkable things. They were beyond human understanding because they were wonderful. Then if we think about the teachings of Jesus, no one had ever heard anything like them before. When Jesus was asked how many times we must forgive, Jesus said not seven times, but 77 times. This was unheard of. Love your enemies, he said. Do good to those who hate you. Rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. No one had told them that before. Blessed are you who mourn. How does that work? And he said all of these things with great authority and with great wisdom that was evident even from a very early age. Why? Because he was wonderful. And then we think about his sinless death, the way he died, silent and sinless. He stood before his accusers. How did that make them feel? They were amazed. It hadn't happened before. He prayed for forgiveness, even for those who were in the process of killing him. Nobody does that. And great signs and wonders accompanied his death. Darkness fell on the earth. The great temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split open. The tombs broke open and the bodies of dead people started walking around. No one had seen anything like it before. It was completely incomprehensible. It was wonderful. And then finally, his resurrection. 
Three days he was in the tomb and then he wasn't in the tomb anymore. He was there and he was walking around amongst them. He was showing his hands so that they could look at the scars that were on his hands. Jaws were dropping and they were filled with joy and amazement. That's the kind of wonderful that this new king would be. He was jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring. It was an incomprehensible kind of wonderful. And the most wonderful and the most incomprehensible of all was that he did this for you and for me, for sinners. So that we could be reconciled to God. So that we, by his death, could regain our relationship with God and have eternal life. Could there be more wonderful than that? Well, wonderful is only one part of this name that Isaiah gave. He was the wonderful counsellor. And he, he would be wonderful in the way that he brought Counsel, And we use this word counsellor as well all the time. We're very familiar with it. Many people find themselves in need of the help of a professional. And indeed the Bible tells us that we should seek wise counsel. Sometimes that counsel can come from a trusted friend or a relative, sometimes from a church leader and sometimes from a professional. And there can be any number of reasons that people need to seek counsel. Sometimes life is just getting on top of us. There might have been a traumatic event in the past. There might be financial problems, work-related problems, emotional problems, relationship problems, any number of things. People find it difficult to navigate their way through all that life might throw at them. And a counsellor can help you do that. A counsellor can give you all sorts of advice and strategies, but only the wonderful counsellor can actually journey with you all the way. Sometimes people need help to deal with a specific issue in their own life that is causing them trouble. They might have an issue with anger or an issue with addiction or unforgiveness or some sort of compulsion that they have. And a counsellor can help you with strategies for working through all of those things. But only Jesus, the wonderful counsellor, can deal with any underlying problem of sin. And sometimes people seek a counsellor because life just feels empty. It feels like there is something missing. Now a Christian counsellor can point you to the way. But only the wonderful counsellor actually is the way himself. For the people to whom this prophecy was first spoken, the word counsellor would conjure up the image of a king giving wise counsel to his subjects. Just like Solomon did with the two women who were fighting over the baby. 
and Solomon decreed that the child should be cut in half because he knew that if that was suggested, the one who truly was the mother would forfeit all of her parental rights in order to see that no harm should come to the child and that way she could easily be identified. So he was giving wise counsel. But only Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. Human counsellors, whether they're kings or whether they're just members of your family or friends, they're limited in what they know. What they know comes from what they can learn about you, from what you tell them, or from what they might have studied at university or read in books or learned from their reading. But as a member of the Trinity, Jesus is all-knowing. No one knows you better than he does. No one is better equipped to lead you through life than he is because no one else but him knows what lies ahead. How does he know that? Well, he knows because he's wonderful and because of that close relationship that he shares with the Father God. Human counsellors have a limited availability. You have to make an appointment with them. It's not easy to get in. You might have to book a few weeks in advance. Sometimes they're not available. They're on holidays. They get sick themselves. And ultimately, you're going to have to pay for their services. Jesus, on the other hand, is always available. He doesn't take holidays. He doesn't get sick. And he can see a whole multitude of people all at once. How can that possibly be, that he can give wise counsel to any number of people all in one time? Well, have I mentioned that he's wonderful? That's how he can do it. It's beyond human understanding. It is divine. Human counsellors offer advice and strategies. They help you to find your own way through whatever it is that you are facing. But Jesus offers new life and the Holy Spirit to lead, guide and walk with you every step of the way. And at the end of the day, no matter how good a relationship you might have with those who are giving counsel to you, particularly if it's a professional service that you're seeking, you are a client. It's a professional relationship. But to Jesus, you are a beloved son or daughter. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Human counsellors, whether they be family or friends or professionals, they have their place and they have a vital role to play. And the Bible tells us to seek our wise counsel. But they are not wonderful because they are human beings. They cannot be wonderful by definition. To a people who were struggling under this yoke of oppression that was heading their way from the north, to a people to whom hope seemed lost, 
Isaiah prophesied of the child who would be their wonderful counsellor. And many see King Hezekiah as the first child of Isaiah 9. He succeeded the throne of Judah after his father Ahaz. Now Ahaz was the king who was running Judah at the time when this prophecy was given. The Bible says of King Hezekiah, there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord. He did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. And he was successful in whatever he undertook. Hezekiah's birth for those people at that time was a sign of God's presence among them. But Hezekiah was not perfect. And to a people in a very different time, many, many years later, Hezekiah is a type, he functions as a type a sign of what is to come, the one who is greater. He was a model for us of our Saviour, Jesus, the truly wonderful counsellor, the one who listens, the one who advocates on our behalf, if we'll just let him do that for us. I finish this morning with a, a story. It's a story of uh, a young soldier during the American Civil War. Now this soldier had lost his father and his brother in that same war and his mother was desperate to have him home to help run the farm. She'd already lost two of those who were closest to her. And this soldier was granted leave to go and plead his case and so he made his way to the White House to go and seek an audience with the President. And when he arrived there, he was told in no uncertain terms that that simply wasn't possible. You can't just rock up at the White House and get an audience with the President. And so he left, completely disheartened, and he's said to have gone to a nearby park where he sat on the park bench. And a, a, a boy who was nearby noticed that this soldier looked sad and he struck up a conversation with him and he learned of his story, that he'd lost his brother and his father, that his mother was at home, desperate to have him returned to her. And the little boy is said to have taken the soldier by the hand and to have led him around the back of the White House, past the guards, past all the officials, and he continued walking until he got to the president's office where he simply turned the handle and walked in unannounced. President Lincoln is said to have looked up from the battle plans that he was studying and said, what can I do for you, Tad? Daddy, said the young boy, this soldier needs to speak to you. And so the soldier got his audience with the president and he was granted permission for leave. He got the audience that he wouldn't have otherwise had because of the relationship that was shared between this little boy and his father who happened to be the President of the United States. 
Now that's the stuff of legends, that story. You know, what the truth of it is, who knows, but that's the story that's told of this soldier and this little boy. Because of the relationship that our wonderful counsellor shares with his father, he can be a counsellor to us like none other. Beyond the great King Hezekiah of Judah and beyond our comprehension, truly a wonderful counsellor if we will but let him do that for us. We thank you, Father, for being a wonderful counsellor to us. I'm going to invite uh, Chris and Aaron to lead us now in a song that I've chosen for you. Sometimes it's very easy to choose a song at the end of a sermon and this one um, was very easy for very easy pick for me. Um, it's a song that's been in my head all week and I'm hoping that it gets in your head all week. Uh, it's an old one and the first service loved singing it so I hope you do too. So I stand amazed. <laughs> 